Well, welcome, everybody. Welcome to Grace This Weekend. Welcome, everybody. Watch online, too. Uh, glad that you're with us. Thanks for uh, celebrating 25 years with us. It's fun, and uh, we are grateful and excited uh, for what God is doing and what he's going to keep doing here at Grace. We, uh, some of you have been with us for 25 years, and to be honest, you haven't held up well. I'm just saying, uh, but uh, it's incredible how fast it goes and uh, exciting what God has in store for us. And uh, you got to see Heidi. Heidi, somebody said to me between services that they never met Heidi. She's not usually with me. Uh, she's usually at one of our internet venues. So hello, Fuel. Thanks for loaning us Heidi uh, this weekend so she can be with me and make me look better. That's important. Uh, but uh, thanks for uh, celebrating her too and her sacrifice and all that she does for the kingdom. So it's, it's a blast. Thank you. Uh, we're in a series right now that uh, we're calling With or Without, and in the series, we're actually just asking that question. Uh, what are things that we want to invite into our lives? What are things that we should export out of our lives? And uh, how do we interact with God to go about that process? And so we're saying there, there's certain things that I want to look at the Word of God, and, and God would value or God would command, and I say I want to bring those things and make them kind of a close part of my life and my heart. And then some things that God might say, rid yourself of these things, or this is a better way to do it. And I want to export those things out of my life. And we said that in order to do that, to go through the with or without stuff, on the deep levels of the heart, we're not talking about you know eating clean or exercising more, but the deep levels of the heart, in order to change on that level, I have to be motivated to do that. And my experience has been that usually when we're motivated on that level, it's because of some type of pain that's come into our life. Something has happened. That there's been a blow up. There's a habit. There's an addiction that's taking its toll. There's a cycle that your marriage or your children or you yourself are in. And there's something that hits where you say, you know what? Enough is enough. I'm done. I've been living independently from, from the Lord's teaching and input from the word of God. And I need to break this cycle. I want to. I want a different outcome. And I need to find find an answer that I have not had in my life so far. And uh, we've been building this conversation, and we said it the first week, those answers are going to be found in God's Word, right? So the Apostle James uses this metaphor of a mirror, and he says that I am to look at the mirror, not just be a hearer of the Word, but a doer of it. I look into the mirror. I don't walk away and just forget what I look like, but I look intently into the perfect law of truth so it can change me, and it can set me free. And if you think about the metaphor of a mirror, a real mirror is not judgmental. It's not patronizing. It doesn't have an opinion. All it does is reflect reality. And in the context of that metaphor, that's what James says about the word of God. It's just reflecting the real you. What are you really like? How do you really act? It kind of strips away all of our justifications and all of our rationalizations, all of our opinions, and it gives us a real view of ourselves and a real understanding of God, right? And God speaks to us through his word. So we said if we want to have real change, change that is on a heart level, it, it starts with the word of God. 
that I go to God's word, I allow it to speak truth to me, I allow it to show me kind of the truth about myself. And then James says, he says, what will you do then is you humbly accept the word planted in you. I agree with, I embrace what God's word says, and I, I form my life around that. And that is, that is the beginning of breaking these cycles in my life. Then the next weekend, we talked about this idea. We said, a lot of times when we're, when we're in these cycles, we start asking the question, why am I like this? Why do I do this? What's my problem, right? And we asked the question, what if my why is driven by my lie? What if my why is driven by my lie? Did I pick up a lie from the family, from the environment, from the culture, from my own brain? Did I pick up a, a lie that I've been trying to make work in my life and that is a part of why I'm always in this cycle because I'm trying to build my life off of a falsehood. The lie is never going to work in my life. And the Bible says that when I accept the forgiveness of my sins from Jesus Christ, I repent of my sins, I turn from my independence and I run to God. I place my life under his authority and his direction. The Bible says that at that moment I am filled with the Holy Spirit. And one of the things that the Holy Spirit does for me is he allows me to know truth. So Jesus says, Says, you can have this knowledge, this truth from God's word. You can understand it, and that truth will set you free. It will show you the reality of who you are and who God is. And when I start believing that truth, instead of believing that lie, that truth will take me down a path that will set me free from that lie that's been driving my life. So that's been our conversation kind of on a broad overview so far. And this series is uh, kind of really unique in this way in that these conversations, what, what I'm really doing is taking one conversation and just breaking it up into manageable parts, right? So it's really just the continuation. It's not one subject to the next, it's kind of the same conversation in different parts. So I really encourage you, if you, if you uh, haven't been here, you've been away, grab the app, watch things there. There's a podcast you can download and get for free. It's all on the website. But it's probably worth your time and energy to kind of fill in these blanks, especially if you're at this point of saying, you know, enough's enough. This has got to stop, right? And the help and the healing and the direction you're looking for is available from Christ in the Word of God. How to lock onto that, how to find it, apply it, that's always the key, and that's what this series is meant to do, all right? So kind of continuing then the conversation this weekend, I want to talk about this idea of strongholds in our hearts. The Bible also uses the word foothold, but they're things, they're sin, they're falsehoods, there's accusations that come in our ears, they bounce through our brain, and they take hold in our heart, and they become spiritual kind of fortresses or weak points that the evil one will use to derail us or detract us from what God wants to do in our life. So I want to talk about these strongholds. The Bible says, through the Holy Spirit, through the power of God in our life, we have the ability to demolish Bible word, demolish these strongholds because of who Christ is. How do I go about that process? How do I like allow that to happen in my heart? And how do I work that through? That's what we're going to talk about this weekend. These strongholds often come through words that wound us. 
And so my experience has been that along the way, someone has said something, some accusation has been made, some name has been called, some sexual induendo has been expressed, some lie has been thrown out. Those words come at us. Words are powerful, we'll see here in a minute. Move through our ears, kind of bounce off of our brains, and they'll lock into our hearts, and they become the foundation of our lives, and they become strongholds that we believe and even operate our life by, as opposed to the truths that Christ would tell us about. So the Bible talks a lot about words and the power of words, the destructive power as well as the positive power of words. But says that the Bible says that words are powerful things that we have to guard. Let me show you some examples of this. Psalms 139, adversaries is the they. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. This is the idea of like throwing, we'd say throw you under the bus or a false accusation, right? A rumor, something on Twitter, Facebook, Snapchat. It's like out there kind of a thing. Words are used in those ways. Proverbs chapter 18, the tongue has the power of life and death and those who love it will eat of its fruit. The tongue, words have the power of life. That's kind of the positive side of it. And also the power of death. Words can wound, they can cut, they can damage. And the writer of Proverbs says, those who love it will eat of its fruit. If I love speaking words of encouragement and truth, I'll eat that fruit. If I love being a mocker, a cynic, a scorner, an attacker, I'll eat that fruit myself. It's going to come back to me. The power of words, Proverbs 12, the words of the reckless pierce like swords. The passing comment, some of us have a word in our heart that is literally a reckless word. Uh, you were walking along, somebody in high school, somebody on the street commented on your body. And that where you remember that moment, you remember what they said, you accepted that as a truth. Somebody called you a name in a locker room. Your mom or dad said something in passing. It's a reckless word. They don't remember saying it. They don't remember the incident, but you remember it. It's a reckless word. And it's not, it doesn't just, it's not water off a duck's back. Sticks and stones may break my bones. Words will never hurt me. That's a lie. Sticks and stones will break my bones. Words will devastate me. Right, because they cut like a sword into the heart. Ecclesiastes says it this way, fools are consumed by their own lips. At the beginning, their words are folly. At the end, they are wicked madness, and fools multiply their words. A mark of a fool is they talk, and they talk, and they talk, and they talk, and they mock, and they mock, and they mock, and they, they're cynical, 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 and they cut, and they cut, and they cut, and they cut, and they multiply their words. And they, they start off as folly. They're usually funny at first. And then you realize, oh man, they're getting serious, serious, serious. And you'll remember, right? If you've been attacked by a fool, you'll remember the things that they said. And it'll run through your ears, bounce off your brain, hit your heart. The apostle James says that the tongue is powerful. That's how he describes it. He says the tongue or our words are powerful. It's like a little thing that runs everything. Like a rudder on a ship will run the whole ship like a bridle in a horse's mouth that our tongues can kill, 
They can be tools of the evil ones, and it's the power of words. And if you are a person who has a stronghold that is taken hold in you because of words, then you remember when that happened. You remember when that person called you that. And you've struggled against that phrase your whole life. You remember when your dad snapped at you, when your mom cut at you, when that coach said that to you, when that teacher laid into you, when that friend betrayed you, when your ex accused you, right? Those words go deeply into you. And if you have a phrase or two like that in your life, then then you know it. And you think about it, and your insecurity is well up, and those words are locked on to you and will even define your life. When I was a kid, I had a friend. We actually went to church together, and uh, we went to church together in the summertime. Uh, we hung out all the time, and I'd be over at his house and vice versa. And uh, he, uh, he, he lived on a farm. His dad was a farmer. And so I remember being at his house one time over at the farm, and we had taken an old lawnmower and turned it into a go-kart. So we had taken the deck off the lawnmower and we had made these paths through like this, un, it was like a hay field that hadn't been cut yet. So we made these paths through this hay field and we would get uh, bushels of corn. And as you were riding the go-kart through the hay field, the other person would try to pelt you with corn. It's, it's what rednecks do. And it's fun, by the way, if you've never done it before. And so we were playing this game and you would ride through and the other person tried to hit you with corn. If they hit you, we called a corn cob fight. If they hit you with the corn, you got off the lawnmower and had to turn it over to them, and then you'd sneak through the hayfield and drill somebody else. There was no cable. It's just what we did, right? And so we were playing that game, and we had played it like all afternoon, and the, the go-kart had run out of gas. And so we pushed it over to the gas tank, and his dad had this big um, gas tank that was elevated, like on the stand. It had a hose that came down. And what you would do is you would turn like this valve, and the gas, would just gravity would start to flow down, and you'd fill up whatever you were going to fill up, and then you'd turn it off, right? And so we were over there doing that, and uh, my friend climbed up to turn the valve on, and I don't know if he slipped or what happened, but somehow he started to fall, and he grabbed the hose. The valve was on. He grabbed the hose. The hose pulled out of the gas thing and all of the gas like hit his eyes and his mouth and he like swallowed it and kind of breathed it a little bit and got in his eyes and so he's on the ground kind of writhing in pain. I had the sense to jump up and turn the valve off real quick. He was having trouble breathing, kind of getting sick to his stomach and couldn't see so I ran to the house and I got his dad. I I told him what happened. His dad ran out and he picked his son up and I will never forget. I don't really remember how old I was. I was just a kid. I'll never forget his dad picked him up and this is what he said. His dad picked him up and he goes, you stupid kid. You stupid, stupid kid. I told you not to grab hold of that hose. You are stupid. And he took his son into the house and put him under like the utility sink, was trying to wash this gas out of his eyes and his mouth. And I remember that, and my friend remembered that, right? And we stayed friends. We were friends all through high school. He hated his dad, hated his dad. Uh, we both left for college. We get back together in the summertime. When we were home, and he was he's dead. He was dead set on being rich and successful. Because he hated his dad, he didn't want to get stuck on the dumb farm, and he, was, he had given his life 
to proving to his dad he wasn't a stupid kid. And those are reckless words, right? I kind of stand on the side of being a dad now, and I can imagine your adrenaline's pumping and you're scared and your kid's sick, but they were reckless words. And they cut like a sword and they went through the ear and bounced off the brain and they lodged in my friend's heart and they became a stronghold. A driver of his life that he was giving his life to proving wrong. And I bet you, you have some version of that. You're a stupid kid. I had a teacher tell me I would never amount to anything, right? You're a liar. You're the sexual name. You're a quitter. You're a drunk. You're an addict. You're a, right? And we all got, we all got our phrase and it's in us, right? It's in us and it's a stronghold and Satan uses it. He twists it in our heart. It's a foothold that he can get a hold of. When you're about ready to do something for the Lord or about ready to be free or about ready to serve God, he's going to lock onto that every time. Because that one always works, you stupid kid. See? And what do I do with that? And how do I embrace the freedom that God would tell me to embrace? So the Bible leads us through this process, and I want to walk us through it and kind of talk about it a little bit. And it starts with this idea of humbly accepting the word planted in you. Now, if you've been here for the last few weeks, you're like, Jeff, you use that week one, I know. And you use that week two, I know. And let me tell you something. If you want to come back next week and get a jump on it, go ahead and write this down, okay? Because it all starts with the mirror, This is where, like, listening to that conversation would probably be helpful. I start, when there is a lie in my heart, right, I start with the mirror and I say, I'm approaching the mirror this time. I'm not approaching it arrogantly. I'm great. Ooh, I guess I'm not. I'm approaching it defeated. I'm a stupid kid. Now, is that what God's word actually says about you? Is that actually true? I, I am a kid that will never amount to anything. I am the accident. I'm the one that nobody wanted. I, I'm the one that I kind of got stuck with. I am this sexual thing that somebody said to me. Is that what I am? And if I'm a follower of Christ, I've confessed my sins, repented for my sins, and the Holy Spirit lives within me, I go to the mirror and I look intently, and God's word defines me, not my lie, my stronghold defining me. And what I did, guys, in the app, if you get the app out, I put in the app, there's a button there, hit Bath Campus, hit Pastors, there's a button there that says, who, who am I? And I actually attached over 90 verses that are straight from scripture. This is not self-esteem. This is not positive thinking. That stuff is shallow, right? This is down to the heart. You cannot self-esteem your heart problems away. That's a lie. You cannot positively think your heart problems away. That's a lie. It's good to be an optimist, but it won't change your heart. This is the word of God. And I put in there over 90 different references with scripture that says this is how God views you. It's when you look in the mirror, it's what the mirror is saying to you. 
And I would encourage you to read through that list. In fact, I dare you to. In fact, I double dog dare you to do it. And I bet you when you go through that, the Holy Spirit of God is going to connect a couple of those passages right to you. I'm a stupid kid. Actually, you're not, Colossians says, through the Holy Spirit, you have the mind of Christ. You can't be stupid and think exactly like Jesus can think too. See? And so connect those identities. And when you find a couple of those things that lean into those weak points in your life, memorize those passages. Right? That's probably the verse that you want to get tattooed on your arm. Right? Everybody has, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Get a, get a fresh one. Right? And get, get a tattoo of that verse. Because that's the stronghold that through the word of God, God wants to demolish in your life and there's truth about who you really are and what God actually says, okay? So point one is gonna be point one through this whole conversation. Humbly accept the word planted in you. Now here's the second thing. When I'm working against these strongholds, the second thing that I need to learn to do is this, to receive encouragement from others, to receive encouragement. Now let me explain this a little bit. The key word here is to receive to receive. This is what happens. We will hear encouragement from others. In fact, the Bible tells us to do that. It says that we should speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. We are actually to speak encouragement into one another's lives. We will hear encouragement, but not receive it. We will hear encouragement from God. We'll hear the word, but not become doers of it. We'll hear what God says, but not receive it. This word encouragement is a fascinating word. It means to give courage. And when I have a stronghold in my life and I feel like a stupid kid, I feel like the accident, I feel whatever yours is, I need courage in my life that comes from the people of God and from God himself. I need to receive that courage from God. Encouragement is not just a compliment. Compliments are fine. You know, your hair looks nice. I like your shirt, Jeff. You're sexy. I'm used to that. I'm fine with all that. Right? It's not just a compliment. It's encouragement. It speaks into my heart and gives me the courage of Christ in my heart. Now, this is what happens. If you're like me, I don't always know what to do with encouragement because I don't know how to take it. Right? So like you guys, like clapping for our 25th anniversary, like when you stand and clap, I, I'm either looking at the ground or I just don't, I don't know what to do with my body. I'm like, eh, I pat Heidi on the back and wave and it's like, I don't know what to do with it, right? I, you'll never find me, Ezra teases me about it all the time. He's like, you are the most uncomfortable when somebody says something nice about you. I'm like, you're right. I'd rather you pick on me right? Because that gives me a license to annihilate you and pick on you back. And so, right? So I don't know what to do with it. This is why. Because when you encourage me, right? Let's just see if you're like this. When you say, Pastor Jeff, that message really affected my life. My soul goes to war with itself. Part of me, the stronghold kicks in. Part of me says, no, you're wrong. Jeff, we really love you. Well, if you knew me, because I'm really just a stupid kid. I'm really just a kid that's never going to amount to anything. If you knew me, right, 
25 years, thank you. Part of me is thinking, man, I, I can't believe we kept this charade up for 25 years. Right? There's a part of me that's like that. The other part of me that goes to war in my soul is my ego. Jeff, you're wonderful. <laughs> like, I don't know that. <laughs> you, are, you are welcome. You're insightful and you teach God's word. And that's true. I am insightful. I am creative. I'm funny and I'm pleasing to the eye. <laughs> right? So these two things go to war with me. And I'll freeze a little bit. I don't know what to do with encouragement. Right? And so what happens is this. Because we don't know what to do with encouragement, we don't know how to receive the courage that God is wanting spoken into our lives. He commands his people to do this for each other. Because I don't know how to receive that courage, I'll discount it or push it away. And let me show you something. The key to receiving encouragement is this. The, the key to it is, is to give credit where credit is due. And when someone encourages you, the credit is not yours, it's Christ. So what Paul says, 1 Corinthians 1, he says, God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It's because of him, because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God so that our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it's written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. The Bible would say that tension is actually accurate. When you give encouragement, using me as the example, as you give encouragement to me, and I think to myself, I'm just the dumb kid. I'm the, I'm the kid that like struggles and is sin. I'm the guy that is broken. I'm the guy that's messed up. I'm the guy that can't always figure his motives out. God would say, that's right. I use the broken things and the foolish things and the simple things to confound the wise. The, the last person on earth that could ever do what you're doing is you. But because of Christ... Look what Christ is accomplishing in your life. God does the same thing with my ego. I am smart. I don't know what my IQ is, but I'm sure it's higher than yours, right? I am talented. I am hilarious. I am good. God would say, easy, big guy. Who made you that way? Who gave you your gifts and your abilities? That's not you. That's me. Everything is me. And when you remember that you're not the end-all, be-all, and you're not this piece of scum, you are a child of God, rescued by Christ, worthy of Jesus willingly offering his life for you. You are adopted into the family of God, a joint heir with Jesus Christ. As a member of the church, all power and authority has been given to you. You speak on Christ's behalf as his ambassador, as if Christ himself were speaking through you. None of that is your accomplishment. None of that is your insecurity. All of that is Christ in you. And when someone speaks encouragement to you, they're not praising you, they're praising God. 
And when I reject encouragement, I'm rejecting God's courage into my life. When I take encouragement for my ego, I'm robbing glory from God. When I keep credit where it's due, I am the object of God's work and power. See? So part of how these strongholds are broken in my life is when I look into the mirror and the mirror says, you're not the stupid kid or whatever your version of it is. You are these things. And then God's people and God himself through his word affirms that in your life. To receive that as the work of God. Man, I am not the stupid kid. I am not worthless. My heavenly father does not view me that way. It's not true. I am not my past. I am my future. My heavenly father does not view me that way. It's not true. I am not lacking power or authority. My heavenly father does not view me that way. It's not true. Look at what he has accomplished through me. Not to my glory. I don't boast in myself. But I boast in Christ. And there is a very strong biblical place that I need to allow that to come into my life or I, I get out of whack in my relationship with God and all of that out of whackness is driven by that stronghold. See? Me thinking of myself as a doormat is insecurity. The exact same insecurity makes me think of myself as a rock star. The cockiest person you know is the most insecure person you'll ever meet. It's all the same thing. It's me believing something different than what my creator and savior Jesus says about me. Right? Now, why is this so important? Because if I am unwilling to receive encouragement from God, and I'm unwilling to like allow that to be a part of my life, what happens is that I, I will never assume my Christ-given identity. right? And I will never allow God to swap these things out of my life. I will assume the identity of my stronghold. I will assume the identity, uh, the identity of, my, of my lie. I will never be, assume the identity that Christ has given me, paid for, and redeemed in me, right? Now, let me show you how this works a little bit. It's kind of, it's, it's, it's a little bit weird, but it'll make sense, I think, once we're talking about it, right? This is what happens. When I hear the Bible say, you need to humbly receive the word of God planted in you, Depending on your stronghold, you're going to accept that a couple ways. And one of the ways that you accept it is this. If you're like me, because of the stronghold in my life where I was told I was never going to amount to anything, and I believed it, and I remember it, right? A reckless word that my eighth grade science teacher does not remember saying. You're a stupid kid, a reckless word that that dad may not even remember saying, okay? If you have that stronghold in you, this is what happens. When I read the Bible and I'm told to submit to the Bible, the parts of it that are most naturally, natural for me to submit to are the parts of it that point out and convict me of sin, okay? So, for instance, the Apostle Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. He says, don't, don't you know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? 
Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And if you have a stronghold, like I have a stronghold, and, and I look and say, you know, I was told I would never amount to anything. I want to follow Jesus. I have recognized my sin, right? I have repented of my sin. I have asked for the forgiveness of Jesus Christ and placed my life under his authority. And when I read the Bible, the parts of the Bible that resonate the most clearly with me are the parts of the Bible that identify the sin that I was saved from, right? If you, if you looked at me and said, you know what? You are a greedy person, Jeff. The Bible says it. I would tend to look at God and say, you know what? I humbly receive that. I don't argue with God about my greed. I'm kind of a self-centered guy who likes things to work my way. I'm blessed, and I like to use my blessings mostly for me. I don't have to, you don't have to argue with me about that. I will humbly receive what the Bible tells me about my sin. Some of us who've been rescued from our sin still find our identity in our sin. So, so some of us have, are adulterers, and, and God had to break that in our lives. It's a stronghold in our life. And so we went to God's word, and somebody looked at you, maybe through the preaching of God's word, maybe the Holy Spirit just worked in you, said, you're an adulterer, and you brought all your rationalizations. I'm not an adulterer. I just flirt with other women who aren't my wife. It's called emotional adultery. I'm not an adulterer. I just, I just kind of fantasize sexually about women that aren't my wife. That, that's, I call that an intellectual adultery. I'm not an adulterer, man. I just, everybody looks a little bit of porn. What's the big deal? I just like a little bit of porn, right? That, that, that's adultery. And when I take myself and I look in the mirror, I'm not an adulterer. Whoa, Ephesians 4, there should not be a hint of sexual immorality among you. I am one. I am one. See? And God's word reflects back to me the truth of who I am. Now, if I humbly receive that, all of that are different forms of adultery. Jesus says, if a man looks lustfully at another woman, he commits adultery with her in his heart. And you can change the genders if you want to. I receive that, right? I repent of it. All the accountability, all the life change, all the hard work of being faithful and invested in my spouse, I'm committed to all of it. And you come to me and say, do you know that you're an adulterer? You don't have to convince me that I was or that I am because I'm a stupid kid who committed adultery. I'm, I'm a guy that's never going to amount to anything, and I'm, I'm still greedy after all this time. That's how I'll think, right? Because the Bible said it and agreed with my own stronghold. And I will recognize God's word. I'll repent of my sin, but I'll still live in the identity of the sinner, never embracing the freedom or the power or the authority that Jesus actually saved me to give to me. The key to this is to actually assume this new identity. Same passage, next verse, 
Paul goes to this list. This is what you are. These guys aren't going to go to the kingdom of heaven. Men asleep with men, greeters, swindlers. None of that. They're not going to inherit the kingdom of heaven. And then he goes on and he says this. And that's what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. That's what some of you were. If you have repented of that sin, place your life under the authority and definition of Jesus Christ and, and receive forgiveness of sin, you are not an adulterer, you were one. You are not a swindler, you were one. You're not an addict. You were one. And my identity changes. I believe that I was an adulterer. That's great. Do you believe you were washed whiter than snow? That your sins were far, thrown as far as the east is from the west? That they were buried at the depths of the sea? Those are all Bible truths also. Do you believe that you were sanctified? that your heart and soul were made clean and you were able to stand in the sanctuary of Christ, that you can be boldly in his throne room? Or do you believe that you are still the stupid sinner kid who's outside the door of Jesus's throne room kind of hoping that he'll pay attention to you? Do you believe that you were justified, that you were legally made right with God? Or do you believe that I repented of my sin and I really am a sinner, I know I was wicked and maybe I'll get to heaven by the skin of my teeth somehow? Humbly accepting the word of God planted in us means that I accept the whole word of God. I accept without hesitation everything that God says to me about being a sinner. And when the Bible confronts me, and the Bible points out, the Bible strips away my rationalizations and justifications. I humbly accept that truth. I accept whatever the Bible says about me being a sinner, and I equally accept whatever the Bible says about me being a saint. That I am a new creation. Jesus says, I am born again. The old is gone, the new has come. My mind is renewed, the heart is transformed. I am resurrected from the dead spiritually. And both things, my sin and my sainthood, are equally true and have equal authority in the word of God and in my life. When I won't receive courage from God... See, I'll, I'll take the condemnation and the judgment that comes from the scripture. You are an adulterer, I know. And that's what you were. No, I still am. When I won't receive that courage from God and from God's people that we are to speak into one another's lives, not flowery compliments, you can be the best that you can be. Haven't you pretty much been trying to be the best you can be anyways? I'm not talking about that nonsense. I'm talking about Psalms and spiritual songs. You know what God's word actually says about you? We're to speak these things in each other's lives. When, when I don't receive that courage from God, what I do is I allow the, the devil to win and he, he gets a triple win. First of all, 
that stronghold, he will use it and twist it, that foothold he'll grab hold of, and he'll defeat me personally. The personal freedom that I long for, the healing and the help that I need, that's gone. Because I might make it to heaven by the skin of my teeth. I, I know that I'm all these things, but I don't know if I'm washed and sanctified and justified. I mean, I'm just a stupid kid. So the devil will defeat me personally and rob me of the freedom, the false condemnation that he will bring into my life. Revelation 12 said he is, says that he is the, the accuser of the brethren. You're still that. You're still an addict. You're still a dummy. You're still a... And so I'll be robbed by the evil one that way. The second way that he'll rob me is my personal impact. Because I'm called to lead my family, to be the priest of my own home, to, 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 to be salt and light in my Jerusalem, my Judea, my Samaria. Like I'm, I'm called to do all that kind of stuff. And if I'm just a stupid kid, bro, why, why aren't you, your kid's smoking pot. Why aren't you confronting them about that? Well, I, I smoked a lot of pot, you know, and before I came to Christ, I, I don't know who I am to say something about. Your friend's having an affair. He's about ready to nuke his family. Why aren't you intervening? Well, you know, we had problems, and who am I? You know, I wasn't exactly faithful when we first got married. Your, 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 your family member is, is tanking their life with alcohol. Why, why aren't you intervening and saying something? Well, you know, got away from me in college, and I... Because we're, we'll accept the foothold. We've accepted the sin when God points it out to us. We don't accept our sainthood. And Satan went, I'm personally not free, and my personal impact is squandered because I see myself as what I was, not who I am. And the power and the authority that's given to me by Christ, not from myself, not by my own good works so that I can boast about it, but by Christ himself who took something broken and made it alive and powerful. So he wins personally, he wins kind of in my sphere of influence, and this is, this is, this is the third one he gets, ready? He defangs the church. If, if I view myself for what I was instead of what I am, then I don't view myself as a part of the spiritual entity of the church, not the way that God would want me to. So when God says, I give all power and authority to the church, so that as the church proclaims the word of God and advances the kingdom of God and strikes out as light into darkness, and as the church aggressively and offensively attacks the gates of hell so that the gates of hell cannot prevail against the church, you'll hear that, you'll think to yourself, man, I'm glad Jeff does that stuff. Man, I'm really glad the staff is just hellgate attackers, right? I'm glad, yeah, there's the staff and then like the elders and like some life group leaders, they just get them, get them everybody. We'll encourage you. Jeff, if you need to hire more gate attackers, just tell us and we'll give you the money for it. And we won't see ourselves as a part of that. 
We'll see there's the superstars that they do the stuff the Bible talks about. And then there's us and we kind of hang out and sing together and show up a lot and give our money. And then there's like another level, level of people and they show up about once every five weeks, but they're kind of in a little bit. And then there's another level of people and they kind of ha- hope the place doesn't just spontaneously combust when they walk in the door. And if you're not careful, because Satan will twist the knife of your stronghold and you won't receive encouragement and you don't see yourself as Christ sees you, what happens is this, you will look and say, man, there is no freedom for me. There's no power in my influence. And I, I'm just kind of a person that gets to hang out and watch the church work a little bit. I'm not actually a part of it. And the evil one just hit a triple. And all of it's a lie. None of it's true. But it's lodged in our heart. And it's come to govern our thinking. One of my mentors is a guy named Newt Larson. And a mentor has become a good friend over the years. And and, uh, I don't know, probably 10-ish years ago, I've struggled with this stuff my whole life. Because I got my lie, and then I got my accusation, right? And it's just calling it all in me. And so the, the church was popping, you know, about 10 years ago. And, and it's when we really started to take off. We started planting campuses and all the stuff that that's a normal part of our lives now. And, and I was getting nervous. I'm like, everybody's going to find out that I don't know what I'm doing, right? And so I would get on the phone with Newt. I had like this weekly time with him where I'd ask him a bunch of questions and get his counsel on things. And, and I was asking him these questions, but I was asking them apologetically, there's this thing, it's, we might make it an extension, but I, I was thinking about asking people if they'd help be a part of it, and there's this place, we're going to start this campus, and I, I don't know, you think anybody would, and I was kind of talking like that, you know, because I'm just a kid that's never going to amount to anything, that's what my eighth grade science teacher said, and so I still think like that. And I'm just a sinner saved by grace, but not empowered by it, just saved by it. Like I'm just on the verge of staying out of hell and somehow if I can perform at this really, really high level, I can prove to God he didn't make a mistake in saving me. It's all in me. And I'll never forget one time I was talking to Newt and Newt spoke truth into my life. Not self-esteem and not positive thinking, truth. It's very different. And he said to me, he said, Jeff, he said, let me just stop you for a minute. He said, you need to quit thinking like you're young and inexperienced. And you need to start thinking like you're called and you've been entrusted with this church and you're responsible to lead it. Quit believing your stronghold and start believing what God has made you. God put you at the head of this church, Christ is the head, but at the head of our local church, for a reason, lead it. Quit apologizing for being there. You didn't put yourself there, did you? It's not all going to your head. Do, do you feel more inadequate most of the time? Or you feel arrogant most of the time, like definitely inadequate. Okay, lead it. It is who you are. It is God's calling on your life. Don't apologize or hesitate for what God has placed you to be responsible for. What did Newt do? He spoke courage into my life. 
He encouraged me with scripture. He didn't quote scripture, he just taught it to me. All that is biblical, what he said. He spoke that into my life, and I received that. Because you don't have to convince me I'm a sinner. Sometimes you have to convince me I'm a saint. Like God would actually, yeah, Jeff, God uses the simple things to confound the wise, and you are confounding. Can God use a guy without a dad to disciple his own children? Men, some of you are afraid, you're afraid to pray with your kids. Oh, I don't know the Bible that well. You don't have to know the Bible well to read it to your family. Just read it. Learn with them. But you believe you're inadequate, and God would say, no, 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 you, you were. So, some of your marriages, you're, you're afraid to build your marriages on the principles of Christ. Because you, you believe if you don't run the rat race, you, you won't make a courageous decision together. Somebody else made those rules up. Christ didn't make those rules up. Why does your family have to function that way? But you're afraid because you were taught, you believe, that if you don't knock it off, he's going to break up with you. And you've believed that since the eighth grade. And you haven't believed what Christ has said about you. Some of you have overcome addictions and what you should be doing is helping other people overcome addictions, but you believe you're the addict instead of the recovered addict. It's not what you, you are, it's what you were. And so there's all these people who cannot make their own way. And God gave you comfort and help so that you could comfort and help other people, but you're not gonna do it because you don't believe it. There's all kinds of you that believe I, I should step out. You know what? I should tell my friends about Jesus. You know what? I should make this change in my life. You know what? We should start to tithe. I, I should start to watch what I watch. It, fill in your blank, all the low-hanging fruit of Scripture. But you're scared to death to actually take that step. Even though people can tell you stories, the Bible will occur, because you won't receive the courage. You've got it in your brain that you're the stupid kid hanging on by a thread. And Jesus would look at you and say, you are my brother and my sister. You, you have a place at the table. I gave my life for that. Don't live this way. You don't gin up your own righteousness. I did it. I am your redemption. I am your holiness. I am your sanctification. The work has been done, but it's got to be lived in. See? And that sets us free. It, it sets you free personally, but it sets your impact free it sets you free as a member of the body of Christ so that the greatest work in your life is the work of the church. It's the only thing that's eternal. See, it sets you free from all of it. And it will break these cycles and break these habits and break, it will demolish these strongholds. Right? And it's the help and the healing and the promises 
that God gives us that Christ died to pay for and that he wants us to live by. I think this week and maybe a way to process this is a little bit like this. I Think of your phrase. If you got one, stupid kid, never amount to anything, you got it. If you got one, you know what it is. And you remember when it was spoken into your life. And take that stronghold and start to ask the Lord, would you demolish this in me? It's not true. Okay. Humbly receive the word of God planted in you. If you have sin, and we're going to talk about secret sin next weekend. If these things have grown into sin and you have sin, that is also a stronghold that needs to be demolished. And so I'm humbly receiving what God's word says about me. Not what I think or feel about myself, but what God's word actually says about me. Confess your sin. Ready? If you've confessed your sin and repented of it and been forgiven of it, ready? There is no condemnation, so you need to start confessing your sainthood. It's equally as true. And that's not arrogance, and it's not self-esteem, and it's not positive thinking. It's the scriptures. And start confessing that also, that this is how my heavenly father sees me and what he's done for me. And as much as you would allow conviction in your life and allow encouragement into your life as well. Last thing I encourage you to think about, I, I was convicted strongly this week about this one. Maybe you are the one who wounds with words. That is something that I struggle with, right? I can be a fool with many words and it starts off as folly and it winds up in evil. I don't know if you've noticed, but I'm a tad bit mouthy. I'm very sarcastic. I think it's hilarious. And I can be very callous to how that lands with other people where teasing moves from having fun to hurting. And the Lord just convicted me. Like, I need to guard my own tongue to speak words of life. So maybe that's, that's where you're at and God needs to convict you and you surrender that to him in a fresh way today, okay? All right, let's take a couple minutes. Be still. Let God dig in our hearts a little bit. Jesus, we love you. Help us with this. Lord, wherever we're at, whatever point of conviction we need to be at, Holy Spirit, would you lead us there? Would you bring to bear the holy word of God into our life? Would you help us to see how we really are, whether it's sin or sainthood, and to receive the encouragement you want to give us. Jesus, we need your help in this. If we could have fixed it, we would have fixed it. So this is the deep work of the heart, and we want to invite you into that place to surrender it fully to you and to lock hold of the power and the wonder of who you are. In these still moments, would you work in us in that way, Jesus, in your name, amen.